This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today, we've got another in our series of kind of mini panels talking about a number of topics important in the industry. Today's topic is going to be on growing pains. I've got two other guys with me who are going through some of the same problems and pains that I've had to go through with my business as you go from one to two to several parks. We may have another guest join us here. we got a little bit of a delay on getting started, but we'll uh, we'll have three of us, maybe four later on. But first, I want to welcome my guests. First, got Larry Abramowitz and then also Brett Bowman. Hey, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks. You got it. Well, I know both of you guys pretty well. Um, some of our audience will for sure as well, but maybe tell us a little bit more as an intro. Maybe start with Larry as far as you know, where are you, I know you're in Florida, so you're investing elsewhere. So how that, uh, where you invest and how you got started and, and, and how it's gone so far, just high level. And then we'll let Brett go and then we'll, we'll dive into some discussion topics. Yeah, I'll go up pretty high level, but I've been doing real estate probably since 2014 done uh, mostly buying foreclosures here in uh, my I'm living in Miami Florida and I was doing uh, buying a lot of foreclosures off the court um, homes apartments land office resident retail whatever I could find that, that had value in it I was you know what I could get it I was buying it then that dried up started doing multifamily syndication and uh, uh, the returns were getting tighter so um, Somebody introduced me to this asset class. I went to the Frank's uh, class and, you know, took me, I, I did study it for about a year before I did my first deal and started. My first deal was July of last year. Um, bought a park, a uh, big infill project in, in Wichita. It only had 20% occupancy. Um, that was my first deal in July of, uh, of last year. And then, uh, Bought the second deal in November in Peoria, Illinois. And that was another big infill project um, with a lot of uh, headaches. And then I bought uh, another park about the same in Wichita again. And um, in, that was in uh, June of this year. And I just closed the last deal uh, near in Winfield, which is an hour from Wichita. Um, about, was it three weeks ago? So I have four parks right now and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, business about 400 close to 400 lots in, in about a year and four months now one thing that's kind of distinct about you too larry is you will talk about growing pains is some of your growing hands of pains is you're start off the one-man band others growing pains are you got investors and other partners here and co-partners here kind of pros and cons of each but you've been doing the heavy lifting from remote with some on-site help is that right Correct. Yeah, all these parks I did on my own, not with not I didn't syndicate, I did all, all my capital and basically just you know dug into the business to learn it from the bottom up, just doing everything. Um, and as a you know, just building a team as I go along and as a, as the business grows. But yeah, it's been a challenging, definitely, you know, 
buying and managing. I self-manage also. So that's that's uh, learning the, the management part of it and running the parks and buying them. And I've been doing it all. So you don't, you don't have as much gray hair as me, so you must be doing something right. <laughs> what about you, Brett? Tell us a little more about your guys' company. I know, you, I know Ryan, too, works with you, and you guys got a good team you're building. And, uh, but tell us a little bit more about your background. And uh, I know you got a day job, too. Uh, so you get, you've been able to balance balance both of them with a partner and, and get it done. Sure, yeah. So I uh, somewhat similar to Larry, but different track. I got involved in real estate investing a few years ago. Started with single-family homes with the Burr strategy. Buy, rehab, refinance, rent, repeat, uh, all in there. I think I switched a couple hours. But um, from there, I got involved in multifamily and industrial syndications and started doing um, mobile homes uh, mobile homes a little over a year ago for me personally. Ryan uh, Hill, my business partner, has been doing it a little, little over two years. So um, I like the mobile home park uh, industry for a number of reasons that I'm sure we'll jump into, but that's been pretty fantastic. So Ryan and I have a company called Suncrest Capital. And over the last just over a year, so October 6, 2020, was my first mobile home park. So we just celebrated our year anniversary of mobile home parks, and we now have 12 with 600 over 600 lots so it's been a wild ride in 12 months and both of us have full-time jobs so it's been interesting to learn the like the scale side of it and force ourselves to scale without using our using our own time so i think i think we'll talk a little bit more about the unique growing pains with that too right absolutely and then yeah so i mean i'm a little bit more a couple more years than you guys in it but definitely still going through the growing pains we got We've sold a few, so we're, we're around a thousand pads, but we had about 1,200. And then we were in five states and got about 15 different parks. So a lot of smaller parks, 20s, 40s, 60s, a couple of them over 100. Um, got about 100 and or 180. No, actually, we're not going to, I got about 300 under contract. Um, but one of them, not, one of them, we're still waiting on some reports, but growing pains here as well. So I'm a, today I'm half host, half uh, participant with you guys. So appreciate you guys taking the time, helping educate others with me. So one thing I want to ask right out of the gate is what did you think would be easy? And it, and it really isn't uh, like, you know, was it, Oh, collections we heard about or Oh, I learned at the boot camp. It's four hours a week. You can manage a park and not my parks. Uh, and part of that is obviously going to depend on particular park location, et cetera. But maybe, uh, Larry, if you want to go first, maybe tell us something that you thought would be easy that really has been anything but. I thought it would be a lot easier to sell homes when I bought these uh, big infill projects, uh, given the affordability of homes, uh, or what I would say used to be more affordable because now prices have gone up. So that's been the biggest challenge. When I started underwriting these deals, you know, I, I was getting quotes from manufacturers and the prices were in the low 30s and now you're you know you can get a home for close to 50 is kind of the cheapest home out there um on a single wide so that that has been a challenge because now the prices are getting pretty steep and when they finance them even with the 21st program i mean now they're not as affordable when you're trying to raise lot rents and add the financing costs insurance and taxes i mean now they're paying I mean, much more than what, or about the same they'll pay for an apartment or maybe a rental home in the area, even though I mean, in two, two of my parks are pretty, I would say high end or, or higher median income and higher median home price. Still, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, I brought in some double wides and 
you know, by the time you set him up and get him out there and, and you, you add the financing, people are going to be paying about 1200 bucks a month for a double wide. And it's a tough sale because at the end of the day, people still say it's a mobile home park. Um, and they'd rather live in a house in a stick built home than in a mobile home park if they can. So once the prices start going up, uh, selling homes has been definitely a challenge. That's kind of where, where we've, um, we've been having issues moving homes. Um, and I did go in very aggressive. I got my dealer's license and work with the manufacturers and started buying. You know, my goal was to kind of infill the park in a couple of years. And uh, I put the orders in for the first year and sales slowed down. So um, we've had, um, you know, I had to push back actually the manufacturers, you know, on, on shipping the homes to the park because they're not selling as quick as, as I hope. The first homes that were lower cost, they did sell pretty quick. Now with the higher prices, it's getting harder to sell. No, no doubt. I mean, that's that's definitely been a struggle this year, and it's it's frustrating because it's like, what can what can we do? The cost of labor is going up, the cost of supplies is going up, timelines are timelines are going up, our consumer wages are not going up at the same pace. So it's you know, the affordability was one of the key sticking points to get somebody in the door. It was hey, look, I can get you all in house for eight fifty a month and lot rent, home tax, insurance, you know, trash is included. It's going to be great. Apartments three, 400 higher, but that, that margins, you know, apartments are going up, but mobile home parks because of the manufacturing price have also for infill have gone up uh, substantially. So you're not alone. I'm sure uh, we're feeling it. Everybody feels it with that. You can't just push the price 25%, you know, especially what I, problem I had on a couple of them was I told someone, Hey, I'll sell you this house for 50,000. And then I order it. Three months later, it shows up, and then the manufacturer's like, "Oh, hey, we had to up the price eight thousand bucks." I can't go back to consumer and say, "Hey, uh, I need another eight thousand. They're going to think I'm pulling a fast one on them. Like, am I just going to eat the eight thousand dollars? That's you know, how many times can you afford to do that? That's a substantial amount of pain, um, especially if you have to infill, you know, tens and tens of lots. So definitely um, a practical problem. And our more recent deals, we've been underwriting. They called it eat or eat 5,000 a house or eat 8,000 a house. And then we put it in the capital raise, but that's not any fun either. Um, but at least it's part of the project plan. And if we, if prices go back down, well, the cherry on top, you know, we, but we budgeted in some of that pain. Brett, what about you? You got uh, any comment on that or other things that you so, thought would be easier? I almost laugh when I get asked this question because I am so shocked at how, like what ended up being hard for me. So the two, big things. And both of these, I think, come up to having like the right organization and processes, processes in place. But the first is bills. And uh, you know, Ferd's actually our attorney for a lot of transactions. So I was already joking with him over email with his own invoice. But just the number of bills you get is just crazy to me. So we have, just for example, one of our 90 lot parks, about eight or nine units are RVs and each one has its own RV bill, or I'm sorry, electric bill. So then we've got water bill, sewer bill, electric times 10. Um, and then any of the contractors, all of our projects, uh, as I mentioned before, we're big fans of the Burr strategy, right? So we're buying stuff that's distressed. So we're, we've got a lot of CapEx we're doing. So we've got lots of contractors. And so keeping track of all the different bills of all the different contractors, making sure it's been approved, you know, that whole process, and then also making sure it gets paid. And then we're tracking the 1099 information. <laughs> bills are a bit of a headache. Um, the second category, I would say, not even including home sales, I would just say homes are a challenge for us. So we've bought 20 homes in the last 20 used homes in the last three months. 
and most of those are sitting on in parks still that we're still paying lot rent as we're waiting for them to get moved because we don't have movers that can move them <laughs> fast enough. And then on top of that, you're tracking bills of sale, you're tracking titles, you're tracking payments again, back to the bills, you're tracking the payments to them uh, on these on these uh, homes. You've got to have somebody go out and check it out and inspect it. So just there's this whole process to homes. Um, and that's all to get them in your park, not even selling them. So I had no idea either one of those would be such headaches when I got into this. Larry, this sounds like many of our prior conversations where we're like, man, the homes are a huge pain. This is not the real estate business. It's the operations business. And Brett just described a lot of the operations. I know from invoicing, uh, it's pretty easy. I think you just, you pay the legal bill first. And if the rest of you don't right. pay, it's not that big, it's not that big a deal. So that's, that's, that's if my, you can figure out your bill for, that's my, that's my attitude. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going through a new invoicing system because it is a pain. Um, but I agree but, with Brett on the, on, on the invoices. I'm actually, that's my next project is I just signed up with a Avid exchange uh, that works with rent manager. And that's basically to automate the, invoicing and the payments because it's it's taking a lot of my time scanning i mean i get all the email in the office you know you gotta scan those invoices i send them to a to a there i have a person that's doing all my all my accounting so i just send it to them they put them in the system and you know they got to be entered in the right um in the right gl account otherwise the expense is in the wrong place which happens about 50 percent of the time and you know, and then you got to check your financials and make sure that all those bills are in the right place. You got to pay them on time. So yeah, it takes that takes a long time and a lot of time out of my day. So I've been my next project is to automate that. And I just again I sign up with there's a bunch of these other companies that automate accounts payable, but that's one that works with Rent Manager, and um, I just sign up for them. I'll, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's going to help me a lot to just uh, make my life easier. Yeah, I'll say the biggest step we took in that direction, uh, we use BuildDM and BuildDM, you like when you're setting up the ePay for residents to pay you with either ACH or credit, you sort of for free get the, the ACH ability to pay out bills. But as far as checks go, you have to get that. That's a different process to set it up. And I hesitated for a long time to get the check processing set up because it seemed like such a headache, but it ended up being the easiest thing to just turn on the check on BuildDM. And most of the contractors want checks, ironically, but I have no idea why that's the case in 2021, almost 2022, but that's the case. And so that saves me a time just because I can put it in the building and send it out. And then it's automatically on my general ledger because it's all done in the same place. So that mm -hmm. helps, but we're still figuring it out, you know. Yeah, Brett, I agree with you. I mean, rent manager has, a, we, we use rent manager instead of building, but they have the ability to print checks and it seems to make it a lot easier to print checks rather than ECH, ACH or EFT on a lot of stuff. And then yeah. um, one thing it's been, it was harder as far as at the beginning, just tracking all of the information, tracking all the financial stuff. And then ultimately we were, you know, we're now doing more ePay and converting all the residents to ePay. That's helped a ton, but uh, something I thought would be easier it would be monitoring all the financials and the P&Ls and all that kind of stuff. I have an accounting degree and finance degree and like we know the stuff, but the amount of entry and the amount of things that can go wrong is definitely a pain. And we've syndicated some of our deals. So that's a, you got to get that stuff just perfect before you can get out the door. So that's a problem that maybe you and I have that Larry doesn't as much as, a, as you're not syndicating these deals, but definitely um, accounting bookkeeping is robust in this business. I want to introduce uh, our, our fourth attendee here. 
uh, ghost from the past. He's here at Abraham Anderson. Abraham, how you doing, man? Doing great, Ferd. Happy to be here. Uh, sorry I'm late. I uh, misread the time zone, so I screwed that up. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. Well, we got Larry Bramwitz here and Brett Bowman. We're just talking about growing pains. Um, time zone challenges are one of those growing pains. Um, but, uh, anyway, Abraham, maybe give yourself a quick introduction. I know you, but uh, something for maybe some of our audience. Sure. Say hi. Tell yeah. us about your portfolio. And then, and then we were just talking about some of the things that we thought would be easy when we got in the business that are not easy. And then sure. we'll get in, we'll get into some of the, I know your pro- portfolio is more local than these guys to where you live. So that may be a different challenge, um, but sure. we'll, get in, we'll get into some of that as well. Sure. So yeah, my name is Abraham. I live in East Tennessee. Uh, we currently have uh, just under 1300 lots across about 25 parks. Most of them are in Tennessee. Uh, we've got well, one park in West Virginia, and we've got uh, a couple of parks as far as Montana, but most are within about a three-hour driving distance. Um, as far as things that have been harder than, than anticipated, uh, I would say management uh, of, you know, once you start getting into double-digit parks, it does become a lot trickier, uh, especially if you've got some smaller parks that can't afford forward you know an on-site manager having somebody to, to to run those that can be kind of tricky so um the growing pains of that is as of november 1st i'm hiring a district manager uh full-time to kind of oversee some of the smaller properties and also uh manage the the other managers that i've been doing up until now and that's taken a lot of my time uh, so i'd like to offload that in order to focus on uh, finding other properties no, good, good comment there. I mean, one thing uh, I'm with you, we, we hired a recently a regional manager that's, she's been great, came from another mobile home park operator, but the con of that is obviously there's an expense. The pro of that mm-hmm. is you've got another set of eyes and ears, you've got another person's experience and you can then delegate, outsource, et cetera. So that, that is a growing pain. You hire the first employee is the first employees. I think is the biggest, the biggest like bullet to bite, like, man, I got to hire somebody and then I got responsible for another family. And then you hire a second and a third. And then each one I feel like is a continual cost benefit analysis of, does it make sense to hire this person? And as you pointed out, small parks are hard. I just, I'm under contract on a 38 park pad, pad park in Illinois. And it's a lot rents are 175 bucks. It's just doesn't have enough gross revenue to pay for a full-time manager. But luckily it's 45 minutes away from where I have another manager and I have a hundred pads. So that person can, she can cover some of those duties. And then from a headquarters, we can cover some of the marketing or cover some of the accounting. So there are some economies of scale that solve some of those growing pains uh, for sure. Um, maybe for Brett and, and Larry and then and circle back with Abraham, what are in general, we, we talked a little bit about park owned homes being a challenge. We talked about accounting invoices being a challenge. What are some other things that are the, the hardest part about operations. And then maybe after that, we'll go into the hard part of finding projects, which is continually tougher in this environment, but maybe other operational challenges that, um, that have been hard. If, if you've got a solution, uh, like we just kind of, Abraham, I mentioned maybe the scale hiring staff, if you have a solution to that, uh, love to hear that as well. Yeah. So we kind of, as I mentioned in the beginning, cause Ryan and I, because Ryan and I both work full time, we started with staff earlier than I think a lot of other people would. So we already, like one of our first hires was a regional manager and she oversees all of our community managers 
And then we also have a regional project manager. Both of them are technically 1099s. So we're just now getting in the phase where we're hiring our first three W2 employees uh, all this month. So what we've learned though from all of that, I think the hardest challenge is consistency. And maybe that's not the right summary, but essentially my explanation would be, we frequently in my head, what I think is the most important person for one person, that's the most important task or objective for someone isn't necessarily what they're doing. And so it's not necessarily translating very well. And so we're like seeing small balls get dropped frequently um, that is just not, you know, and I can't, I can't be there for all of it. So that's been challenging. So what we've done recently actually is just really gone back to the drawing board and we have a big spreadsheet that's every single person in the organization. And then one of the column, the column next to them is what is their key, their number one task, like the number one goal. So for example, our regional proper, uh, property manager, we told her her number one task is increasing NOI. That's no, number one. If anything else that we've asked her to do isn't in line with that, she needs to push back to us on that. And then we said, here are the things we expect daily, weekly, monthly, and uh, irregularly of each person so that everybody sees what everybody's supposed to be working on. So that's been helping already with some of the roles and responsibilities and accountability. Um, just, you know, one of those basic things of just alignment. That's great. That reminds me, if I'll jump in real quick, that reminds me of, you know, we do a lot of weekly planning, uh, rapid planning method, and then a lot of daily planning. And that's when I had, especially laborers in the field, I learned early on, they're good at some things and there's some things they're not. And so I learned one of the things they're not good at is triage or planning. They just, they'll, they'll triage in the wrong order. And they'll be in the middle of fixing a water line to walk to the truck to get get apart and the way back somebody says hey my toilet's leaking then they go fix the toilet and then oh by the way the toilet's broken then they go to home depot they get a new toilet they come back they install the toilet i get to the end of the day and they're like oh i couldn't finish the water line it's still leaking because i got distracted on the toilet so i really learned three i have the manager supervise people that are not good at planning and part of that is planning capital projects and infill projects and it's it's not a micromanagement as much as it's a, a focusing kind of like you're saying i like that on your org chart that you got the number one task that's a focus on your task um you know gary keller's book the one thing like if you're not doing the one thing you're not doing things right in the right order you know you're just busy and being, being busy is not the same as being productive so i, I like that um it's a good tip brett what about you, Larry? What's some other operational things that have been hard that you're, you're finding solutions to? I mean, the hardest, of course, has been managing remotely. Um, the beginning, you know, I was going almost once a month to the parks and staying a week in each park. So I've been you know, traveling a lot. Um, my What I've been doing is scaling up in the same area so I can have the same manager kind of look oversee the parks in the area and... Uh, you know, higher, I would say a, high, a higher level managers and not so much what, what you hear in the cores where you got to pay $10 a lot. I mean, you really don't get much for that. I mean, I, I think that what you really have to do is hire a, a manager with skill that you're going to have to, you know, pay him and pay the person enough to, you know, to have a, somebody with a good level and, and then just keep on buying parts either on the area to scale up and have that person manage more, um, you know, more units and, and also be able to afford a maintenance person because that's kind of been the biggest challenge is finding people to fix stuff. I mean, you can either have a manager or a maintenance, but you know, usually one person, I mean, it's hard to find that person that can do both really well. So I think that, uh, 
what's been helping me now. I in Wichita now I have a maintenance person and a manager, and that's really been um, helping me to scale and to do things a lot quicker. And just have somebody that can deal with the day to day of, of maintenance and uh, fixing things. Um, and the other biggest challenge has been remodeling uh, used homes. You know, I've been buying a lot of used homes when they um, when they're available just to infill. And sometimes they sit in the park for months until I can find somebody that will fix them, that knows what they're doing, and they can fix them at a, I would say, a reasonable price. Lately, I've been getting crazy quotes. Um, so what we started doing is posting, um, you know, in jobs in Spanish and Facebook, just to you know look at the local uh, Latin groups and just posting in there to find the uh, handymans and stuff. But they're also, uh, you know. I posted a, uh, a job at 15 an hour and everybody started putting the, the laughing faces on the, you know, making a joke out of my, out of my post because they say for that, you're not going to get anybody. I mean, if you want to get someone in maintenance, you got to pay 25 an hour. So that's been, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something you got to underwrite for is a higher labor expense, especially for, for maintenance. Good point. Abraham, you want to tackle that as well? Um, I know some of these challenges we're probably all having in all markets, but uh, curious too on the labor market in Tennessee is how's it compared to some of the other places? You're a little further south. Sure. You know, and that's exactly what I was going to mention was labor shortage. Um, and I'm sure this isn't similar in a lot of different areas, but you drive up and down the, the main drags and metros in Tennessee, everything is for, uh, you know, for hiring. We're hiring, you know, apply within. Um, that, that has been the number one challenge is just finding good contractors, whether it's handymen or you know, more capital projects, um, home movers, even paving uh, or surveys, any type of contractor. It's just almost impossible right now. And what we've done is the ones we have that are good, we try to always keep them busy uh, just so they're not, uh, you know, going and taking on some big project for somebody else. Like if they're not employees of ours, you know, I'm just trying to always send them work. And then, you know, I pay them quickly. You know, I want to pay them right when they invoice me on it so that they're happy with me and they're not frustrated. Um, so that's one thing that I've tried to do. And But it's that, that has definitely been the number one challenge for us right now is just finding people to show up that are licensed, insured, and that know what they're doing. That's a, that's a, We're having the same problems, and uh, I think that's more macroeconomic. I don't know, how, I don't know the answer to a quick solution on that. Um, but as I'll tell you one thing we learned a couple of years back to your point on uh, keeping guys busy. I had this guy, Marty, he worked for me for two years and he'd work overtime. He'd work Saturdays. He worked 50, 55 hours a week, but then sometimes we'd run out of homes and we like, Hey, I got another home, but it's three weeks out. So he'd say, okay, well then he'd go do a roofing job or something for somebody else. And then I'd have a, you know, frozen pipe or a gas leak or something like that. And we'd call him. He'd say, I can't help for three days. I'm on a roofing job. So we're like, then I got to hire a regular plumber at 150 bucks. And I was paying this case $16 an hour. So I learned that same thing of keep them busy. So what we did, we said, Hey, you're only allowed to work 40 hours a week, except if we give you other permission. And then you can do other jobs, maintenance jobs, or people fix a bathroom for somebody on nights and weekends. And that will be kept you busy. And if we ever ran out of work for them, we saw it coming. We called the other park owner and say, look, I'm going to send that. You got any park owned homes remodel? And of course they did. And we'd say, hey, we'll send you this guy for two weeks. You just pay him direct, but you got to promise not to poach him. And we found a couple of guys who were cool about that, and we would do that. We'd lend them out, and then but they got worried about that, so we started buying 
get some duplexes. My parents had a farm and stuff. We started like, hey, we're slow or it's a rainy week. Go paint the inside of the barn. You know, we always had on a farm. You always got capital projects like that, too, that you just push and push. So we kept them busy for five or six or seven years. And now I try to keep full time guys busy. I can't do it in every market we're in. But in the markets where we got, you know, substantial amount of park owned homes, I try to keep a full time maintenance guy busy with remodel, CapEx, or relooking. Like yesterday, I have four guys in Marshall, Missouri. We bought a park that were sub metering it. None of these guys, two are from Illinois and two are from Kansas City. And hey, you guys are going to spend four days doing four guys sub metering and replacing these lines and doing some other miscellaneous work. And then when they get back home, there's pent up demand for them. We got other projects because they haven't been there for four days. But we knocked out a big project at. 25% of the cost of hiring, you know, we use Metron meters and we like their meters and we use their water scope, but their plumbers are a lot more expensive than my plumbers and they're not any better. So any other comments on, on ops, any guys right now, or you want to talk about harder things on finding deals? We talked about hiring people already, so I kind of skipped through that. Um, but uh, what are you guys doing that's, to try to find new projects? And or anything just in general, whether it's find new projects or, or staffing or bookkeeping, uh, what's keeping you up at night uh, besides the neighbor's dog, if anything? Whoever wants to go first, go for it. Sure. Uh, uh, one thing that uh, I've learned, you know, every time I miss out on a deal, those, you know, it's funny, I, of all the deals I've done, the ones that come to mind are always the ones I missed out on. You know, you might do three good, great deals, but you missed out on that good one and just you know, that keeps me up. So one big thing that I've taken away, uh, and unfortunately I really saw this play out twice, almost simultaneously with different sellers is if there's a park that, uh, you're talking to a guy and, and they tell you a number, if it's even within the realm of being able to do it, just, okay, sure. I'll give you that. Write it up, get it under contract. There was two deals I lost out on very big properties where, we were off by like 15% and I was trying to haggle them that last, you know, small amount relative and someone else came along and gave them the same amount. And what's most frustrating is you may even have a situation where they agree to the higher amount, they write it up and then they come back and retrade them back to what you offered initially. <laughs> so, and, and you're not, obviously if you get it under contract, you're not, uh, you still have the ability if things come up to, to renegotiate if it's justified, but, uh, that, that's been one thing. I mean, if you're in the running and they, they throw out a number, just go ahead and say, okay, you know, let's write it up. I'll, we'll do it. Um, as far as other ways to find this finding properties in general, uh, it's taken me sometimes it'd be two or three years of me following up the seller before they actually end up selling. So pick a market you want to be in, make a list of all the parks and just call up the owners, call them up, you know, introduce yourself, tell them what you do, talk to them, make notes, then just be consistent call back whether it's every month or you know every couple months um, you you have to keep your mind your name fresh in their mind and one thing i've done another thing recently i'll this last point i'll make that's helped a lot i've got two deals recently because of this was sometimes you know these sellers are kind of on the fence oh i'm thinking about selling i'm not sure and this could be something they tell you for a year finally i've said you know what price would it be at if you got it you just couldn't say no to you know, what would it take for you to sell it? And I've surprised you. They just said, well, okay, if I had this amount, I would sell. And it might be a little bit more than you want to pay, but um, I, I've gotten two deals like that recently just from posing that question to them. So that's just, you know, those are a couple of things I've learned recently to uh, 
to, to try in order to get it parked. Good, good tips. Uh, Larry, what about you? What do you, what do you find in, this, in the market that's hard to find a reasonable deal? Well, actually, right now I kind of stopped looking because I'm trying to organize what I have. Um, but I've gotten a lot of my deals like through wholesalers. I guess all of them I got into wholesalers. Um, um, I'm not doing direct uh, to owner contacts or I haven't started doing that, which I, eventually I will. But right now I, I don't have the team to do that. So I pretty much am relying either on looking at broker deals, which have been you know, hard to justify. I mean, some of these uh, deals out there through the brokers and then um, most of the stuff I've put under contract has been with the wholesalers and, I, and I'll agree with Abraham that even those deals when they, when they come in and, you know, even if the number seems a little high, once you start doing due diligence and you start finding the real problems with the deal and, you know, what are the real rents, not what they reported and what are, you know, what's the reality with when the seller most of the times they don't even know what they have, right? I mean, a lot of these uh, mom and pops to have everything in a notebook or notes and it's, when you put it all together, you start finding out that it's not as, you know, it's not what, what was presented at the beginning. And, and you know, then you can sit down with them and, and try to negotiate. And I mean, when it makes sense, I say negotiate sometimes it just, uh, what I've learned in the last uh, deal is that sometimes even if the seller will not come down even when you find issues if the deal still makes sense i mean don't walk away because i've, I've had instances where you know they don't want to go go down let's say thirty thousand for the sewer lines and the reality is in the last deal yeah they were they had issues but they were not they're still operational and it's not maybe i didn't have to come out of pocket right away and the seller would not give me a penny but i the, the number still made sense so i say okay let's close it let's just get it done and she didn't come down a single penny on the deal but you know it's I agree with Abraham. You can't you can't get too greedy sometimes. And you know the deal works and the numbers still work. Just get it. It's not going. It's never going to be perfect. Tips, Brett. You got any comments to add on that? I uh, just <clears throat> I've had similar experiences there. I I would say I think a lot of times we we as a whole and in investor groups get hung up on cap rates and cap rates are important, but I think similar to what. Larry and Abraham were saying if the if the value's there and you're paying a tiny bit more and the cap rate isn't what you want, but you've got a nice return anyway. You know, like a lot of the approach I'll do when I'm doing underwriting is I get to where I feel comfortable as far as my infill and my upside and everything that I can get in there. And then I try to bump my purchase price as high as I can possibly get. And then if I'm still too way low, that's I'll still send in an offer because I know I'm <laughs> I'm not going to feel bad that I, that I lost out on that deal in that case. And I've got, I'm looking at my board right now. I've got lists of those that I've missed out on that I've felt just fine about, but the ones where you're close, those can hurt. So you want to do your best to, to really zero in on your underwriting and get, and make sure you're doing the right thing. I will say the other thing we've done, and this was sort of in your cheat sheet of questions that I'm kind of segueing here. Um, we've, we've locked ourselves in geogra geographically into the Midwest. Um, for a couple of reasons. The main one is we started in Kansas City um, and that's where our regional team is all based out of. So we've got our regional director and our regional project director both in Kansas City and then we have a rehab crew of five people that are also based there. So if we're buying parks within a three, three and a half hour radius, 
I sleep a lot better at night because I know I've got a team of people that can get there a lot faster than I can. And then the community managers we have on site are, are really high quality people as well. So we, I still look at things that are outside of that radius because they're exciting and interesting, but I, it has to be a killer deal for me to get out of that area. No, I think we all agree. I mean, Larry mentioned he's, he's purposely been clustering geographically several parks in the Wichita area. I know Abraham's portfolio is largely in Tennessee. Uh, we're in five states, but that's really not that far away um, yeah. based on drive time. And, and I agree with that. And, and for sure, um, I look at deals. The things I don't like, the struggles I'm having looking at deals right now are going to be deals that are brokered are often really price competitive. And some of the call for offers, you got a bigger portfolios, you got to take, put a ton of time into them to properly underwrite them. Cause you know, you got to bring your A plus value if you're going to get the deal bought. And I've, I've done it on several right. deals and been off by half of what they sold for. I'm just like, what, what does this other guy know that I don't know? Um, but you know, cause I think I can't, I know I can't operate it profitably at that rate or not for a yield that makes me want to work an extra hour today. So that's been a challenge. The other challenge we've had buying deals right now is I've got, I've looked at two really good deals um, in markets that I really like the price looked fair, but the guys have like 40% leverage in place and they got a real stiff, Prepayment, prepayment, you know, yield maintenance or defeasance penalty with their lender. So I'm like, one deal is nine million dollar deal. I was like, great. Well, the the penalty is like eight hundred ninety five thousand dollars because they got such a low loan and bad loan on. I was like, well, and they go, oh, but you can just assume it. I'm like, well, I can only if I assume it. I got low leverage. I got to go to one bank. I got to try to get a supplemental. And there's a you know, there's a process to that. That's a pain. I go, or I got to get a new loan at a better interest rate, but then I got to pay this fee. It's not nine million anymore. And in, in so that's, I've had two different deals. One was like four man, one was like nine man that I otherwise was like, as Abraham said, I was close and I'm like, okay, the price is re somewhat reasonable. But when you add that on, I'm like, well, it's not as reasonable. Um, and, there's, and it was more painful. So that's been a struggle for me. Um, what about, what about some stuff that's going right? I mean, we're talking here about growing pains, but before we you just, before we end the conversation on things that go wrong, obviously we've, we've all bought more than one. So we're either crazy or we're doing it again because something's going right. We keep, we keep doing it. Or so, both. Go ahead. Yeah, or we're both crazy and doing something right. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, that's probably too. But is it, what's been easier than you expected? I know it's not renovating park owned homes and I, and I know it's not getting, getting your new homes on order at reduced prices, but what, what else has gone easier than expected? That's made this kind of fun and then made your life easier. Um, for me, and I like almost, I need to like knock on wood, uh, collections has actually been like much easier than I expected. Um, and that goes from the logistics. Every park we've bought, people were paying cash or check. Then I've got, we've got 12 communities now and every single one people were used to paying with cash. Um, and so we made a hard stand that we need to do e-pay or checks. We do off, we do allow checks. And part of that, uh, I heard early on. You need to use one bank, one bank for all of your operating accounts. And I preach that like we have everything with Chase Bank and it is so easy because I can transfer stuff. I can see it all in one place. It's fantastic. And you can the permissions are fantastic, too. There's really granular permission. So every one of my park managers can make mobile deposits. They can't see a single thing. They're literally their only access is mobile deposit. So they can do mobile deposits. We've got ePay, all that kind of stuff. And uh Again, the other thing that I've learned from, again, all of our parks have had this situation where they've had very lax late fees and, and payment policies. And we've come in day one, our very strict policy, very well spelled out, and we enforce it. And our collections are way better than I ever would have expected. 
we still have to, you know, obviously we've got some issues and people were evicting, but, you know, not nearly to the scale I would have thought. I would say that for us also, it's been a, a lot easier has been implementing the, I would say the pay lease or, you know, we pretty much come in on every deal I've come in and said day one, we only take uh, payments through, we use rent manager and pay lease and uh, we give them the options to either pay you know, there's Walmart or whatever local store that Paley's accepts. They can pay cash there or they can pay with an ACH, you know, online or with a credit card, I mean, or a debit card. I mean, and that's pretty much the choices we give them. And it takes about a month to get everybody on board. I mean, it's people, some people are slower and they don't, you know, they have a flip phone or, you know, they say they didn't get the, the information. But I mean, the park we just bought last month, I think we have about, 80% of the people already on board. And I mean, by then the second, once you get that set up, then it, the collections are pretty easy. Unless the people that are, that are not going to pay, they're never going to pay regardless. So those probably go to evictions. But um, yeah, it's been, I've seen a lot of the Facebook groups talk about that. And I just, uh, I pretty much ripped the bandaid and just tell them that's the only way to go and, and just makes my life much easier. I mean, and there's no stories, right? You know, if they paid or they didn't. You know, people say they paid, and I said, listen, the system doesn't make a mistake. I mean, if they paid, we'll see it, and you'll see it right away. And if they didn't pay, I mean, it's, you can just, you know, the great manager will not show the payment. I mean, so it's pretty easy to to uh, keep tabs on collections. It's funny. I, this is the exact thing that I had written down was taking uh, cash pay or online payments through PayLess. So, <laughs> You know, different operators in different parts of the country, but we face the same problems and also the same, I guess, things that are easier than expected. Um, but I have a, a couple of associates that between all of the stuff we have, it may be close to 2000 lots. And on every park that we're in, we, we implement that. You have to pay either at a pay lease location or online. In pay lease, they basically integrate with MoneyGram. So anywhere you can do a MoneyGram is, is where they can, they can pay. Uh, and what I found is, you know, a lot of these park owners, mom and pops, they do take cash. So with Paley's, they can go to Walmart or wherever and give them cash. And then they get a receipt and it goes in your bank account. But um, as, as Larry and uh, Brett have touched on, I mean, that's just, that's been a huge help. To me, a big fear was always managers either getting robbed or, you know, embezzling the rent. And so just completely taking them out of collections. If you have a bad manager, you can just get rid of them and get somebody else in there and collections don't take a hit at all. Um, so that, that has definitely been a big, um, uh, you know, something that's been easier for us. The other thing right now is uh, lending. Uh, and I think it's, it's, you know, like people tell me in 2008, you know, or 2010, especially you could buy deals everywhere, but lending was really a challenge. Now we have the opposite where finding deals is really hard, but uh, if you're qualified, it's a lot easier to get a loan. Um, the other day, uh, the president of the bank that I do a lot of deals with reached out to me and he met me for lunch, bought me lunch. And um, I could tell he's giving me this pitch why, hey, please keep your loans with us. Keep giving us business. And I thought, man, that's interesting. You know, at the beginning, you're kind of doing the opposite. You're trying to win them over and get their favor. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, lending is, is, is good and you've got banks competing for your business. So those have been two things that have been easier uh, you know, uh, compared to, you know, harder challenges. 
No, that's a good point, Abraham. I've, I've noticed that too, or banks. And it, it, the bigger you get, the easier it gets too, as far as lending, you got a bigger, better track record. But I've noticed it even of late on refinances where, I mean, even with Fannie Mae, I mean, people for years tell me, you know, you need to have at least two years of seasoning, stable property, all this before you get to Fannie Mae. And I had a property that was a kind of a dog, fixed it up real fast. And I didn't want to be on the recourse that long. I didn't want to do a recourse refinance because it was kind of a two horse town. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't want to, the industry goes out, I'm in trouble. I put it on Fannie Mae after nine months, cash out. And now it's non-recourse. And, uh, and, and since I did that, my, I relocated my manager who was a star, put him in a different property and he was the glue. So that property immediately took a big hit as far as collections and rule falling. And the next man, we've already gone through four or five managers in five months where that guy was a rock star. Now I got him in a bigger park overseeing three parks. So I realized, man, um, it's easy if you find the right people. It's hard if you don't. And this guy was in the park. I could tell one within five minutes, that's going to be my future manager. And now he's overseeing, I don't know, 150 pads for me in a different market. Um, and he's doing great there, but he was, the first park was 54. And as soon as he left, it's like, you'd think it's a thousand pads it's as hard as it is for the next manager. So um, it's easy to do good when you have good people, but it definitely been hard otherwise. Well, guys, what about maybe last question? Um, if you got any systems you've implemented or just any general advice you've implemented to make your lives better for something we haven't touched on just for our audience. I mean, all of us have gone from, you know, zero to wherever we're at and all of us are moving forward for more, um, either more infill or more parks or some combination. So any, any words of wisdom to share with our guests or our audience? We have a couple of, uh, sorry, Larry. <laughs> we have a couple of tools we've used that have helped a ton. Um, you know, when it was just a couple of us at the beginning, it was really easy to do email and text and everything. But after a few months, you start looking back and you're like, okay, now where was that document? Or what, who was it that said what? And so it's nice to know exactly where to go for everything. So we, we've landed on Trello and Slack, and then we integrate them together. And everybody, we have over 30 people on Slack because we've got every community manager's on there. We've got some more contractors are on there for like rehabs and stuff. And it's just nice to have this like, trail of where we can go for information if we forget about something and then if a card on trello gets updated we see it on slack and vice versa so it just kind of helps us keep those together i've heard good things about monday and other tools like that um but those are I, I think just having the right tools that work for you helps a ton yeah we've been using for that as asana for tracking everybody's tasks by by park and it's it's been great also because you can even it has a it attaches to your email or your outlook or if you use gmail whatever it is and you can actually write from the email assign a task to someone and um kind of take it off your plate and it will be in a sign with the email attachment uh so you know all these to, you know when you when you buy a park or managing a park the to-do list is endless and it's very easy to forget stuff or for somebody to forget stuff. So what I just do, you know, we keep on adding everything in Asana with a task and a date and all the attachments that are necessary. And it, it helps it, it helps us keep track of, um, of of all these things. You can even do the, the chatting through there. But I think maybe adding Slack could be a good uh, thing because we use WhatsApp right now and and have all these chats all over the place. But all, like, all those conversations kind of... Get you know as as you buy more parks, it starts you know it's too many chats going on, so that might that might be a good addition to maybe add this Slack in there, 
uh, for, for all that stuff. Um, we're also using a CRM for home sales because we're, we are selling a lot of homes right now. I mean, I have, a, I have for sale a total of um, about 80 homes between all the parks. So we have a lot of, uh, a lot of leads, a lot of applicants and everything to track. So that's definitely been, um, you know, something important for us is to track all these home sales. Um, Larry, so what those, CRM do you use? We're actually using one that's for the industry, which is called MHCRM. Cool. And um, it's, you know, it's kind of, I would say it's pretty easy. It, you know, I was using uh, someone that was helping me with the home sales, a consultant, and they recommended to use them. And it was kind of easy to implement and to use. Um, so we're, we're just, um, you know, it's very visual. It's very easy to move uh, and track people around in the stages. So we kind of just went on board and used that. And, um, you know, it's been very helpful. We have like um, tablets that I, you know, I, I buy a tablet with a with an internet connection, like a cell connection. And we, everybody that comes in to see a house, we, we have given the tablet and let it fill up their information. And as soon as it gets filled up, it already starts a mailing campaign, you know, um, we have about eight different emails and one goes out like every week um, as you know to see if we can bring him back into you know to close the sale right so that's kind of what uh, so that's been very helpful and um, and the other thing I've been playing around with since I have remote parks um, is I have two employees in Colombia uh, right now and I've been um, doing a lot of the management I would say remotely um, Again, we're in a low rent business, right? So it's hard to justify high salaries. So that's been a, a way to keep my costs down. And still we're doing most of the collections remotely. Um, a lot of the, you know, taking over the park, sending out the leases, you know, a lot of the back office, we, we, we've been doing it from there and it's it's been working great. The only thing you can do locally is a lot of the maintenance and that stuff. So I've been playing around by just having a maintenance person at the park uh, and then managing everything else remotely out of Colombia. And, um, you know, we're testing it now with the last purchase we did. And that's been, so far, it's been working out great. I mean, I think it, it might be a, you know, a formula I might be using on a smaller deals that you, know, you can't justify a full-time manager. So um, just, you know, testing different things. We're actually doing now in two parks where we're doing all the violations and all this stuff remotely. We send it to the maintenance guy, let him post it. But, you know, a lot of these parts I'm buying are heavy value out. So I really need more than a manager. I need uh, maintenance on, on site. So that's been very helpful for us. Yeah, I also use Asana. It's great for uh, tracking tasks and making sure things get done. And the other this piece of advice, I guess, would be whatever property management software you go with, just, just pull the trigger. And I try to do as much with that software as I can. So for instance, with Rent Manager, as we talked about, we do all the collections through it, all the accounting is through it. Um, I'm in the process of switching all my phones over to it. So VOIP, where every time a tenant calls in, it records that call and saves it to their account. Um, so, uh, and, and don't don't skimp out on, on software. I used to hate the idea of paying for, for software, but um, you know, it's really gonna come back to bite you if you use a free version of, of some property management software and it's not going to have the same capabilities and you're just going to have to go and move everyone over later on that's going to be a big expense and undertaking so uh, as far as yeah just pull the trigger and uh, don't try to 
save a, you know, a penny, you know, hold a penny in front of your eye and miss the dollar. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Well, those are good, good tips, good advice, guys. I, I'm the same way as you. We, we don't use Asana. I might check that out, but we've, I've done some, done a little bit of some of those programs. We use teams a lot for stuff. And then, um, to have, I like to have a lot of written reports from my team and a lot of brief, brief meetings, briefings remotely over over Teams or Zoom, and then keeps me in the loop. And and then also just the kind of geographic consolidation of one manager over, you know, try to buy, if you got a full-time manager, try to buy something right near them. And if, and if you got somebody there, try to tack a little bit more on as opposed to get too spread out. Um, I don't really want to be 15 hours from home having to look at properties um, unless I got five of them right there. And, and then I can justify the occasional travel there, but um, definitely lots of growing pains in business. It's a fun business, very active as you guys all know, as well as me, um, lots going on. Any, any closing thoughts before anybody, uh, before we jump? I have a few more tips if, that I wrote down a list because he sent us a question. So okay, I, go ahead. Um, so for people growing the business, you ask us what tips or um, I would say to start slow so you can implement all the systems before you keep on buying parks. And I'm just things I learned from my mistakes because I think I went too quick and now I'm trying to catch up. Right. So ideally you have everything organized and then, you know, you, then it's easier to buy. Make sure you have your accounting set up for somebody to do it or, you know, it's not going to happen automatically. So, uh, and that, that's key, I mean, to make sure you do your books monthly on time and make sure that, you know, how your properties are performing and not, not be a surprise, you know, three, four months later. Um, I guess one is understanding how difficult it is to infill um, and the CapEx required for that, um, especially in hot states. And that's a lesson I learned the hard way is about this park in Peoria and setup costs are two and a half times what they are in Kansas. So, um, you know, CapEx has been huge compared to what I underwrote for. And uh, so you either plan for that CapEx or you just go slower and, and plan to do it a lot slower if, if you don't have the capital to do it. But that's, uh, it can eat up your, your, your cash very quickly in a hot state to do, do things compared to uh, other states like Kansas where you just set up homes and setter does most of the stuff. Um, and the other thing I, I've learned after the, you know, the first three parks is I was very aggressive on rent increases and day one, I pretty much took over a park, sent a big increase, passed through all the utilities and kind of, you know, hit hard day one. And I ended up losing a lot of tenants in the first three deals by doing that. Um, and it started, you know, pretty much the wrong way. I mean, and everybody was, you know, they already hated us going in day one, even though we're cleaning up the park and making it better and spending a ton of cap capital to do it. They they were blinded to it because we kind of went in and increased the rent first on this last deal. I'm not touching the rent. I'm just want to make sure everybody gets on board paying online. I'm gonna we're gonna invest some money into the park and then send the rent increases and maybe go a little slower so we don't lose the cash flow on the tenants. Um, so um, yeah, those those are kind of been the the my my tips from what i've learned in the last uh, year and a half doing this and the management system which is key i mean just make sure that i will spend the money also day one and uh it will make your life a lot easier brett any uh closing thoughts from you 
Yeah, just did the, I mean, staying on top of the little things, uh, like Larry, like Larry said, like Larry's touching on, I think are huge. You don't want to let, let anything get behind a kid's getting cut up sucks. So <laughs> stay on top of that. I also think like being, I mentioned in the beginning, consistency is something that we're really focusing on. And so when we have an announcement for one park, we, we try to blast it to all the parks or if we have a learning, share with all the community managers, uh, financing options. We've got uh, a few financing uh, companies we're working with now. We've got Barron's, which is in a few states. Um, we've got PEP, uh, and we're working on 21st. And we try to make sure they're all available for all the parks. And we give them a handout of when to use which option for for financing because they're all a little bit different. So just getting that consistency and making sure that there's sort of this like living trail for people to find the the resources they need, I think, uh, have been most helpful for us. Again, we're still working on it and, fi and figuring it out, but those are those are huge. Going back to seeing patterns, the one word I wrote down was consistency, Brett. So right on. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Being consistent with your operations. And um, one thing, as far as growing in general, and this is not necessarily about uh, operations, but I, what I've done is my focus has been on buying parks. I don't even, I don't do a whole lot of infill unless, you know, low hanging fruit like organic move ins or posting ads once a week on Facebook from people advertising green homes in because. Uh, I, the way I look at it is there's a window of opportunity to purchase parks that's closing. I can always go back and fill those lots, but I can't necessarily go back and buy these parks. So that's one thing. And, and we've grown pretty quick, pretty fast. Uh, and so we've just, you know, it's definitely playing catch up. Like Larry said, trying to go back and then get all the people we probably should have had from the beginning. But um, uh, you know, I just, uh, I would say don't stop marketing if you already own a couple of parks, keep doing it. Uh, a couple of times I was tempted to turn it off because we have a, also we have cold callers and then, um, then I may follow up with the people if there's a lead. And a few times I was tempted to, let's pause it for a while. We've got all these projects going on, but you know, every time I thought about that and didn't do it, you know, next week I might get a great lead and then we ended up buying a property. So um, that would be my, I guess, number one thing right now is I uh, recommend if, if you're wanting to get big and, and get a lot of parts, just keep going because there is a window of opportunities closing. Good point. Good points, Abraham. I, I'd say, uh, you know, I'm about, all about to growth and find the next deal. But one thing kind of echoing some of Larry's concerns or comments is, you know, don't go too fast. Um, I think kind of measure twice, cut once. I know I see it all the time. I mean, it's, I, get, I get called almost every day. Somebody saying, Hey, I, I missed this due diligence thing. Hey, I didn't do this right. How can you help? And sometimes it's, I can't help today. If you called me a month ago, I maybe could have helped. It's too late. You're going too fast. Uh, you, you got out over your skis. So that would be, that'd be one piece of advice is just don't go too fast. And the other piece of advice would be, as we kind of talked about here too, it's there's an expense to it, but hire early. Um, I know Brett did that, had to based on having a job and based on being remote um, I kind of jokingly say now, you know, Noah, you know, Noah from the Bible, Noah didn't build the ark when he, when it started raining, he built it in anticipation of the flood. And that's kind of how I've started looking at hiring people is, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm going to need another regional manager in a year. I'll start looking now and, and I don't have to hire, but now, but if the right person's here, 
what's the total cost of that? If the total cost is 60,000 or 80,000, there's a number to that. But if I had that person here now, instead of a year from now, could that person help me or a manager or somebody else add 80,000 of value? And every time I ask that question, the answer is, you know, I think so. So I hire one more and I hire one more. We've hired over 10 people this year. And every one of them, we had to turn over a couple of people, didn't work out the right spot, but every position's been like, wow, that position's already paying for itself. So I can afford to hire one more. And that that person was now free. Sometimes the person, my manager that took me on one relocated, he, he's already paid for himself for the next decade. So like, you know, you, it's hard to find a star like that, but if you can, it's kind of like uh, missing out a great deal. You're going to, you're going to be kicking yourself uh, if you don't get the right team. So. Bert, I couldn't agree more. And I'll just like chime in here a little bit. I think early on, it's really easy to skip not only on software, but also on team. And you obviously can't go out day one and hire a full-time employee, but there's other team members that we hire like lawyers. And this is not a shameless plug for you, but like truly I look at my the attorneys that I work with as an extension of my team. So just really recently during due diligence, I had Jonathan Gilmore, I think is his last name working on due diligence for me on one of my parks. And uh, I, it's really easy for me to think, oh, I don't need a zoning letter or, oh, I don't need this full Alta survey because it's going to cost five or 6,000 or that's going to be four hours of Jonathan's time that I'm being billed, up, billed for. But we recently found one that it actually had the wrong zoning. And so we could have gone into a heavy infill park or project and not able to infill it. So we were able to backpedal, get an extra three months on due diligence to go through the rezoning process on that. So we're still in due diligence, but you know, that was a huge save and totally worth it. And I, I look at that, like I've got another employee that I'm only paying when I need. Um, and it's a super skilled employee. So think of that with a lot of different external team members that help us out. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. I'll, I'll make sure to tell Jonathan too. He's in the next, he's in the next office. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he's listening. He better still be over there billing. Um, that, that's, that's the benefit of outside counsel. I always just say, how can lawyers charge them? It's like, well, because you can't afford to have them full time and you don't need them full time, but you want them to have expertise that you can, you can plug in an hour or two or three at a time. Same thing with the plumber or any independent contractor. And it's like, I don't want to have a licensed plumber full time. I don't need it, but I, you know, if you, if you get a good one, it's worth what you pay for. So I appreciate right. you know, Please appreciate being part of your team and, uh, and all that you guys do with us. Yeah. I think also I'll say the same is, uh, I've worked with Fur to my last three deals and, and it's been a we've been a great part of the team and that, that's also been very helpful to have somebody that not only is an attorney but you have you have parts and you know how to run them and you know what the legal issues are and that that's very helpful as you're uh, doing your due diligence and closing on a deal. I'm gonna say I'm gonna concur as well. Uh, you know, <laughs> first, honestly, uh, for when I heard about your service, I was like, you know, do I really need an attorney to get me a zoning letter? I've gotten a bunch <laughs> myself, but and I would get one. Then I'm like, man, it, it needs something else. Then I call you up, and you get like a much better one. So <laughs> for every deal going forward, I'm going to be calling you to get the, the zoning letter. You guys are making me blush. I appreciate it. Zoning zoning is a complicated issue, but it's it's kind of fun to work on, and sometimes doesn't work perfect by any means, but. Um, it's, I mean, it saved me seven figures getting the right zoning on a couple of deals. And you don't know until, you know, we just had a client where like he had a gas and oil easement and like, you cannot buy this deal because it's a surface easement and you can't put trailers there and your business plans infill. He's like, I didn't, I never would have thought of that. Well, that's why you look at the title work. That's why you look at the survey. That's why you look at the zoning. 
Um, and that's what, you know, and if you don't have the skills or the time to do it, that's why you outsource it. Right. I don't, I outsource stuff all the time. Uh, people better than me at a lot of different stuff. So, uh, really appreciate this guys. Uh, till next time. Thanks. And God bless. God bless you. You've been listening to the mobile home park lawyer podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.